If you want to take your vehicle's performance to new heights, you got to give it peak. Like our original equipment technology, antifreeze and coolant, our formulas match the vehicle manufacturer's technology requirements so that we have the perfect match for every vehicle. That's one reason why Peak is among the fastest growing brands of coolant in America. We work harder to earn the trust of people like you every day. That's Peak Performance. Get running this fall at Dunkin' with $2 medium iced coffees from 2 to 6 p.m. Try any of Dunkin's delicious iced coffee, like their signature original blend. Or treat yourself to mocha, caramel, or the fall favorite, pumpkin. Always freshly brewed, made just the way you like it. Make time for happy hour and enjoy a $2 medium iced coffee from 2 to 6 p.m. Washington, D.C. runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Hi. This is Marlene, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Stories of the Supernatural. Whether you're watching a video or listening to a podcast, please like and subscribe to us so that you can get notification of when a new show is released. Links to videos or MP3 files can be found on MiamiGhostChronicles.com. Go to MarlenePardo.com for information on new book releases. I narrate several podcast series that can be found on major podcast platforms and can also be listened to via Alexa, Sonos, and other home systems. Look for Supernatural Storytime for scary storytelling, Nightshade Diary for classic horror and adventure stories, Stories of the Supernatural for interviews with different guests on the show. If you want to get noteworthy news about the paranormal world, true crime, conspiracy stories, and anything that is just plain weird, you can visit Strange Than Fiction Stories tab at MiamiGhostChronicles.com or find us on Blogspot. I want to thank you for being part of my audience. And I think you are all wonderful. Hi, everybody. This is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. How is everybody doing today? Good, I hope. I'm doing good. Everything is great. Um... As you know, still uh, trudging along in my new home up in North Florida. Uh, for those of you, I, uh, last week I, I had mentioned that I had lost one of my roosters. Yes, I did. But, you know, like, like Dr. Malcolm said in Jurassic Park, life always finds a way. Um, some of you might be familiar if you've been with the show for a while. I have guinea hens, that they make that weird noise. Well, I only had two of them one of them one of them i brought up with chicks and the other one i found out later that they kind of pick on on uh on chickens i mean in other words they're bullies but anyway to make a long story short they're so quaint and unusual that i've kept them especially my male and um he uh all of a sudden uh i have very large trees with big roots in in the in the property and there was a board that we had placed there, basic, basically making like a small uh, cover. Next thing I know, I uncovered because I was going to move something. And there's my guinea sitting on top of about 20 eggs. <laughs> and the thing is, this is the first time they've ever nested. And um, I, had, I had never pursued it because I had read that they're really not that good as far as parents. Because they kind of abandon their nest sometimes. But I'm going to let it go through. So... My point being, I lost a rooster, but now I have a guinea hen, which is for the first time 
has sitting and trying to hatch. I don't know how many eggs are going to come out of there. So that's going to be interesting, and I'll keep you guys updated on that. And the truth is, at this point, since she kind of snuck that in me, have you noticed all my all my chickens and things? They kind of do that to me, you know. They kind of sneak in and do the. Uh, I'm going to raise uh, some chicks. I really don't know when they're going to hatch. I'm. They, they usually follow the timelines of you know chickens 20, 21 day, 22. But at this point, I have no idea how long she's been on the egg. So I, I've got to run out there and scoop them up because that is the that is the problem out here. As a matter of fact, we have a neighbor that's got property way over it, and he has a few chickens. And I heard from another neighbor because you know how that travels around. Forget the phone; it's word of mouth that there was a fox running around and had taken a few of this guy's chickens because he couldn't keep them in a coop. He can't catch them. All right, but I'm, I don't know where they roost. But bottom line, he had lost a few um of his chickens to a fox that came in so now i'm like wigged out because i don't want to lose don't not only do i not want to lose the guinea i don't want to lose my chick so i'll keep you guys abreast of that and then let's get on to the good part yes i know this is a story about paranormal supernatural things of that nature but you know i always interject about my my uh my adventures in the chicken kingdom let me first of all get on to the sponsor for the show, which is Primary Notary Services. And they, this company works in the state of Florida, the entire state of Florida. And what they do is they provide full notary services at your convenience when you need it and where you need it. And what they do is they travel to your location at a time that is suitable for you. They're fast, friendly, reliable, and above all, they are professional. And they keep your privacy in mind. They can, they're mobile. Uh, they can provide these services throughout the state of Florida. They can assist with immigration forms. Uh, they do a virtual assistance services, title processing. They can officiate at your wedding. They also have remote online notary services, which means that they can notarize uh, documents online. They also have a bilingual staff, English, Spanish, and all their notaries are background check, which means certified, bonded, and insured, and they're available seven days a week after hours, all of these things, especially for people sometimes that need to have a last minute notary, sometimes at hospitals, very unusual places. So give them a call at 844-423-7773. Again, the name is Primary Notary. They can be reached at 844-423-7773 or email them at hello at primarynotary.net. Now, since we got that out of the way, let's get on to the good part, which is who I have as a guest. And this is the first time that this gentleman comes to Stories of the Supernatural. And I know you're going to be very excited when I go ahead and uh, let you know a little bit about him. Uh, his name is Dr. Piero Calvi Pericetti. He's Italian-born and Scottish author and speaker. He's a medical doctor originally specializing in public health and disaster management. Uh, in 2004... A simple anecdote narrated by his wife triggered an intellectual interest at first and then a truly scholarly passion for psychic research, especially for the study of scientific evidence pointing to the survival of human personality after bodily death. Uh, he's personally trained with his intellectual hero, Dr. Raymond Moody, which I'm sure many of you might be familiar with, which he was the first physician to write about near-death experiences back in 1975. Uh, Dr. Parasetti's become convinced that mind and consciousness cannot be reduced to the activity of the brain, 
and in a way which we do not understand, it survives the death of the body. In 2008, he published his first book, 21 Days into the Afterlife, uh, hailed by New York Times bestselling author Michael Prescott as the best introduction I've seen to the survival hypothesis. The book received very complimentary reviews by specialists and lay public alike, is translated to six languages and went on to become an internet publishing success. He has other books, which are Adventures in Psychic Research and Apparitions Proof of Survival from 2014. And I'd like for you to help me welcome uh, Dr. Parasetti. How are you doing today? Hello. I am very well, Marlene. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And thank you for all your listeners who have made time to listen to <laughs> what I, I have to I, say. I, I, everybody, all my guests sometimes listen to my chicken stories, but <laughs> I have my audience. I've, oh, I've been raising chickens since I even lived in Miami. One of those things you do. Uh, yeah. I've been transported a bunch of chickens, and people, <laughs> they have they're part of the uh, the background of my show because people follow it along like a like a soap opera kind of thing. But anyway, fantastic, um, fantastic. Uh, the when you mentioned, I remember reading Dr. Moody's books many years ago, mm -hmm. um, where it was so groundbreaking because he conducted it his observations were basically almost you want to say on a scientific level Completely. as a doctor absolutely there was he wanted he didn't want to prove it or disprove it he just wanted to get the data analyze it and then basically he came to the conclusion that we um that there is something uh beyond the physical in other words that's when we had um people that were being able to describe things going on, either seeing their bodies while they were being worked on, seeing events, or people in other parts of the, let's say the hospital. And it was, uh, I, I wanna, I believe that it was groundbreaking what he described. And I imagine that now, especially after 1975, that now they have more ways of uh, basically bringing people back, uh -huh. for lack of a better word. Uh -huh. um, have you found in your research that some of those incidents, as far as the reports, have become more common? Not necessarily. NDEs, near-death experiences, is one of the pillars, but by no means the only one. You know, when people hear that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a medical doctor and I mm -hmm. deal, I double in the survival, they always say, ah, NDEs, and NDEs are super important. Yes. But that's very sort of associated with the medical profession and the medical field. Mm -hmm. But it, the NDEs are one of about, I would say, 12 different fields of investigation, scientific investigation, all coherently and consistently pointing to the survival uh, of personality to physical death. Now, concerning NDEs, what can I tell you? The um, handbook of near-death experiences, which is the reference book, the scientific reference book used by health professionals who want to know about this phenomenon, was published already a few years ago under the uh, very learned uh, editorship of Edward Kelly, and the book has 140 peer-reviewed scientific papers in the bibliography. So we went way beyond the anecdotal and we went into completely the scientific field. Now, 
uh, people are obviously struck and, and, and their fantasy, everybody, my own, everybody's fantasy is, is struck by the fact that uh, in the ears uh, have this incredible feat. They, they see themselves, they, as you correctly said, they see and are able to describe the, uh, what, what was on during the suscitation. They even can describe particular details that they have perceived outside the building where they were being uh, resuscitated and all that points extraordinarily to the fact that consciousness can operate outside the physical body. However, let me remind you and all our listeners that the truly, <laughs> the more fundamental, fundamental and truly spectacular feature of the NDEs is that people who have no functioning brain whatsoever have an experience whatever kind of experience that in itself is extraordinary and that flies in the face of you know the materialists and the physicalists who say that mind is only the electrochemical activity of the brain there's it's just a matter of neurons and cells okay so what you're saying is people that their brain is not working not functioning nothing so let me let me take you on a very short medical ride it's easy it's not difficult to follow okay we ndes happen in a variety of situations however we often refer to what happens during um following cardiac arrest because we know the physiology very well we know very well what happens to the brain after uh the heart the heart stops beating and you know, the first thing is that in about a second and a half, two seconds, lights go out. We lose consciousness. We faint, essentially, right? Mm. Uh, about 10 seconds after that, the breathing stops. And you know that no heartbeat and no breathing is the definition, a medical definition of death, right? So at that stage, the person is dead. Within another 10 seconds so about 20 seconds from cardiac arrest the EEG the electroencephalogram that's the electrical activity of the brain goes flat we speak about flat liners don't we yes. so already then the person is medical clinically and legally dead in that condition what's really interesting is that within another about 10 seconds, so we are at 30 seconds following cardiac arrest. There are centers very deep into the brain. For instance, you know the gagging reflex, the fact that if you touch the back of your throat, we inevitably yes. gag. Mm -hmm. The corneal reflex, if we touch our, our eye, we inevitably sort of move away and close your eye. These are very, very old, evolutionarily speaking, reflexes that depend on very, very simple connection of neurons very deep into the brain. The fact that those reflexes are out tells us that the brain is out. It is not only the cortex, it is not only the inner part of the brain, the most fundamental processes of the human brain are not functioning. Now, in those conditions, people report a complex 
highly structured experience, which they described as more real than reality. And the interesting thing is that this experience is not like, you know, the hallucinations you have when you take LSD or drugs, which can be of, and you can, you know, dream up all sorts of things. No, mm -hmm. as we know already from doctors, Dr. Moody's work so many years ago, the, uh, the experience is fairly common. I'm not saying it's uh, identical for everybody, but people of very diverse sex, race, ethnicity, religion, socioeconomic background, sexual orientation, whatever you, ha you want to throw into the mix, they all have a number of common features. The experience, you know, you, you and your, your listeners have heard about this, you know, the autoscopy, living the body, seeing the body, and then entering the tunnel, and the sensation of ascending, and then getting into the light. There's a number of steps which are extraordinarily repeated across cultures, epochs, genders, everything. So, number one, the very fact that people without a functioning brain have an experience is extraordinary. Number two, the fact that very different people report the same kind of experience is even more extraordinary. And now, let me ask you one thing, Marlene. Yes. How much do you think you remember from your high school years? In my Memory. conscious mind, very little. My subconscious mind, everything. Oh, but I'm talking about the notions, what we spent so hard time trying to learn. And, and, oh, and, you mean you know. as far as studying? Yes, oh. yes. Uh -huh. Oh, it, isn't it? it very, unless it's something that I'm using now in present day, uh -huh. very little. <laughs> there you are. And I could say the same for university. You know, you spent yes. years painful. I mean, you honestly. Yes. Anyhow, and you don't remember. Now, the possibly the most extraordinary things is that the details of the near-death experience I remember in minute particulars 20, 25 years after the experience. So people without a functioning brain can build and retrieve very detailed memories of their experience. But so you understand you, when, why? When, I guess my please. question is, usually you hear that when your brain is not functioning, uh -huh. that, that's it. In other words, that, that, that you're like, well, like you said, dead. So well, basically, people are being brought back even after the brain oh, is not functioning? Absolutely. The brain, it, there's plenty of cases where they have been, quote-unquote, dead for 20, 25 minutes. And during that period in which there's no brain activity whatsoever and the person, to clinical terms and legal terms, they're dead, they have these extraordinary experiences. And that's fantastic. And we're not talking of one case or two. In literature alone, there's about 21,000 well-documented cases, and I'm talking about medical literature, okay? Imagine what's not documented, but and still happens. Extraordinary. So it is, a, in fact, a very common phenomenon. Let me ask you, so what does that do to someone in the medical field? Which point do they can say, I'm going to pronounce this person dead, considering what you just said? 
Ah, yeah, it's they have to wait. They have to wait, of course. And uh, if if the, the they have ways, we have ways to understand if the resuscitation work is likely mm -hmm. to happen or not. And in fact, if whether the, the if the heart restarts, the person comes back to life. If the heart does not start, then unfortunately the person crosses the threshold. Right, right. Finally, I, finally. I have heard of people who, like you said, the brain is dead and sometimes they will keep the body with machines pumping. So ah, if, let's say yeah. for organ donation, for example. But it's different. It's different. In that case, the heart works. Okay. The heart muscle works. So they, they might be uh, ventilated. With, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, uh, artificially, they breathe artificially, but the heart works. So they're not dead. They're, they might be quote unquote brain dead, but they're not right, dead. Right, right, right. Which I always thought was the determining factor whether somebody was truly dead. In other words, if their brain activity was there, but maybe they couldn't breathe on their own and they were being kept yes. alive, they were still alive. Correct. But once the brain that was gone, and of course the heart, like you said, then that was when the person was truly clinically dead. And Correct. you're telling me that people are remembering, oh, that's incredible. It is phenomenal. Listen, I mean, there's there's a, a very easy way to sum up all this, Marlene. Virtually all the medical researchers, and now Moody was the first one, and now there are there's quite a number who've devoted all their lives to the in-depth study of the near-death experience, they're all convinced that it is, quote, highly suggestive of life after life, end quote. Yes, yes, I believe it. And, when, and, you, and, when you think of that, um, and then you hear these stories, exactly like what you said, the near death, the tunnel, uh -huh, where uh -huh. they're sometimes even given a choice. Yes, oh, you, yeah. oh yes. Do you want absolutely. to return? There's the life review, typically, mm -hmm. which again is, is dead, not against, but I mean is incompatible with the teachings at least of the, of the, of the, you know, the Christian religion, which speaks about uh, a judgment and, and there's, yes. there's one God that's there either to, you know, damn, you're either damned or saved and, and blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Not at all. What consistently we are told, both by NDEers and by spirit communicators talking to us through mediums and other channels, plenty mm -hmm. of other channels, consistently they tell us that uh, what we go through is in fact a life review. We, we are made to relive every single instant of our life. It, they say it's a three-dimensional cinema. You relive your life at right. incredible speed. You rethink all the thoughts. You refill all the emotions. And you are conscious of the effect of your yes. actions on exactly. others. On others, yes. And you yourself do the judging. You're helped reflecting on what happened in your life. And the, the exercise is not meant to issue a judgment the exercise is meant to learn right and a lot of people i know depending on the religions there's connotations of punishment in other words we're going to get the the uh you know in other words it, it, the best even with let's say christian is purgatory but nine times yeah. out of ten you know you're 
it's it's you're going to go either up or down <laughs> this is not what we hear it, not what we hear from people who died when they were christians yes and exactly in, interestingly and and with this i will conclude then maybe we can we can move to to other subjects because there's plenty they can talk to yes. but you know another very interesting feature of ndes is that the people who've had them come back transformed there's a, an array of psychological and behavioral changes, which again are, appear immediately after the experience and last a lifetime. People lose their fear of death, for instance, because they have died. They have experienced first person what happens afterwards. So any fear of death is gone. If anything, they long to go back to yes. because have, it is, have, it's have a, you come across which I always wonder about a person that's a true atheist. By this I mean uh -huh. I don't mean an agnostic. I mean a true atheist that doesn't believe at all that there is anything beyond the, the physical body. That they've come back. Have you read of any information that they're transformed in their belief system? Absolutely. And I can I cannot quote now on top of my mind examples. But what uh, what's uh, as part of these of these um changes psychological and, and and changes in behavior what's interesting is people who were religious before the experience become less religious and more broadly spiritual okay they they lose touch with the dogma with the details of their tradition whatever christian or whatever it is and they embrace a more a, a much more open broad broad uh, spirituality and that's that's really interesting People lose any interest in material possessions, in success in the material world, and they develop an interest for knowledge for its own sake, for helping others. It's it's extraordinary. It's a, it's a very beneficial thing. I mean, dying right. and no, coming no, back heard that, is good. That, that it, uh, yes, that overall it's a, it's a good experience for the people that decide to come back for whatever the reasons. Uh -huh. uh, and like you said, they're... Their outlook on life has totally changed, no matter what they what they were like before. Yes, indeed. Experience. Indeed. Absolutely. And so let's go on. You were saying about other areas. Uh, yes. I, let me, um, I hope you and, and especially your listeners will, will forgive me for a little bit of self-promotion but i've embarked ahead. i've embarked in a, in a in a project i make no mystery Marlene, of the fact that the recent pandemic took uh, uh, at all on me it affected all of us for sure and everyone in their own way and i took it really badly i i had a bout of of uh, mild to serious depression and anxiety it was a dark period nevertheless being the good soldier that I am, I, I tended to my interests. And during that period, I managed to research and write an entirely new book. What a great way and, to make use of the time. Yes, this is excellent. Well, you know, and, and I'm, 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 I must say I am modestly proud of it because it's a, it's a slightly different take on the subject of how could you say the geography of the afterlife mm -hmm. let me try to explain there's in europe we have a, a, a very very popular i don't understand i don't understand why they're not popular in the us but i understand they're not in europe they are very popular travel guides called lonely planet 
and they've been going for years and decades now. And Lonely Planet guides are based on the accounts actually sent by travelers. Somebody goes to Thailand as a backpacker, comes back, writes a report, send it to the headquarters in the Netherlands saying I've stayed at this hostel, this was good and I suggest you go there because it's cheap and blah blah etc. Right. Another person with more means also goes to Thailand and sends back a report on the luxury resort and, and blah blah. And so they collate, collect that's, and that's collate. It's a beautiful thing, and every year there's an updated version because they receive more uh, more reports, so it's a very good system. So, I had the idea of compiling the Lonely Planet Guide to the Afterlife. <laughs> to, to the Lonely okay. Planet Guide to what happens to the process of dying, death, and what comes afterwards. And to do so, I looked at the testimony we received from three categories of sources. Number one, deathbed visions. And I will explain to you in a moment what they are. Number two, near-death experiences, which we've ex discussed in superficially, but now we have an idea what they are. Number three, after-death communication, the testimony we receive from people who allegedly have died and speak to us through a, a, a variety of channels. The, most, the, the best known is mediums, but there are many others. Instrumental transcommunication, electronic voice phenomena, automatic writing. There's an, a number of ways in which for now 200 years we have uh, collected evidence about after-death communication. So, since I am a, a, a man of science myself and a man of reason, I don't want my readers to take such testimony at face value. So, the first part of the book is a sort of a CSI crime scene investigation. It's a sort of a, okay. as, a as a medical detective investigation into these three sources. We described the phenomenon, we looked at what the phenomenon indicates, we examine, critically examine, all possible alternative explanations. Okay? And at the end, we rationally conclude that it is reasonable to believe them. It's reasonable to, to believe that and the ears are who they say they are. People who have momentarily died, went into the afterlife, took a look and came back. And, uh, and we have reasons to believe that deathbed visions, which is a fabulous, a marvelous phenomenon I'll talk to you about in a moment, yes. that these are really momentary peaks into what awaits people after their passing and we have all reasons the evidence is colossal the evidence has been uh, for for after death communication has been gathered for and studied for yeah i would say 180 years now by some of the finest minds on the planet including hear me well five nobel prize winners and the only conclusion 
an unbiased observer who has engaged with the evidence can draw is that yes, these are discarnate entities who once walked planet Earth and now go on existing in a non-material dimension we call the spirit world. So, collecting, collating and, and representing, re, re, not regurgitating, because I use a lot of the quotes themselves, but it's not a book only of quotes. It's a book that, you know, I, 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 I provide the quotes, I provide the references, but there's a bit of explanation and, and, and framework for, uh, from me. The book is called Step Into the Light, and uh, it's available as, as usual on Amazon or and I invite everybody who's listening and wants more information or wants to make contact with me to visit drparisetti.com dr as doctor and then one word drparisetti Paris like the city in France E-T-T-I at the end drparisetti drparisetti.com now and there you find my books, you find free articles, uh, um, the Apparitions book is there for free, people can download it for free, and blah blah. Now, back to deathbed visions. Have you ever heard about yeah. this? You, yes, you did. this, is, this uh -huh. is about, are we talking about people that are dying that see the, the, the deceased Correct. relatives? Right, Precisely. I mean, I've even heard of nurses Oh. That work that they they know almost when Marlene, going this to the subject is so important that it is mm -hmm. taught at nursing school. There's yes. a subject at nursing school because nurses have to be prepared. Then they decide themselves what they make about the phenomenon, but they they are prepared to deal with people who report having these visions. Yes. Now, yes. A few interesting facts about this. Uh, about 10% of people are conscious at the moment of their passing. Okay? One in 10, more or less. Of this 10%, two-thirds report visions of what appears to be the afterlife. They interact with people who are said to be relatives who have come to bring them over to the afterlife. That in itself is extraordinary, okay? Um, what happens, uh, this, this, this happens in the 36 to 48 hours before passing. Mm -hmm. Somebody who's been in pain and slumped in bed for maybe weeks with, uh, with terminal disease or what have you, all of a sudden is seen to perk, perk up, yes, sit up I in bed, heard of that. raise yes. their hands, and they describe, they talk about something that they only they can see, except the rare cases of shared death experiences, but we want to, want to, want to go into that. They describe, you know, heavenly realms, and then they say, oh, here's that, and they engage in conversation, sustained conversation, and they... They, they, their faces lit up and it is an extraordinary, it's very transformative experience. And then they go. Now, obviously, uh, this, it, it has been, the, the skeptics and the materialists have tried to explain away the phenomenon uh, in a number of ways. And those who will have the patience of going through the chapter in my book, they will see that none 
of these explanations stand up to facts. They are medically, scientifically debunked. The debunkers are debunked because, sorry, yes. it, it doesn't work like that. Yes. We don't have time to get into that now, but let me tell you two things which are uh, truly extraordinary. Oh, now I only remember one, and I said two. Let me start with No, one. don't worry. Go ahead. Go, go with Haha. <laughs> so, the idea that deathbed visions are fantasies, a desire, something that right. a story that we invent to ourselves, that our psyche somehow invents to give us comfort at the moment of death, is blown out of the water by this simple fact. Evidence shows that those who think they are going to die but end up making a recovery don't have deathbed visions. Those who think they will make a recovery but end up dying do have deathbed visions. That's extraordinary. That, it's right. hard it, it, evidence. It happens despite what the expectations are. Absolutely. It's hard evidence telling us that it is proximity to the death of the physical body, which is the trigger for the experience. It is like, you know, the brain was, the physical brain was a filter that excludes a lot that we don't, we only see what's important for life on earth and material and evolution and blah, blah. But when we come close to death, that filter opens and we are allowed to see what happens. Yes, another, now I remember what the other uh, pretty intriguing, pretty intriguing particular. We say it that those who have uh, deadbed visions engage in communicating, they talk to relatives or more rarely to spiritual figures Generally, it's relatives, dead relatives. That includes a non-negligible number of very well-documented cases in which the person having the vision speaks to somebody they did not know he or she was dead at the moment right. the vision is had. And this is fantastic. How do you explain that? Right. They have other no... than other than the fact that somehow, somehow, in a way, I keep saying, I do not have explanation for these things, right? I'm not one of those who say, oh, there's a quantum field. Or The honest answer is that we do not know. We only know it happens. And the facts, the fact that it happens, point to survival of personality, to physical yes. death. And, and, and I've even heard of patients that sometimes have dementia and Alzheimer's become lucid. Oh, yes. Terminal um, lucidity. Absolutely. As far as recognizing in that conversation that you're talking about? I had I had a, a, a snippet of that experience personally with my, my wife's mother, who, who poor woman died with a very severe Alzheimer. And I would not say she regained lucidity, but the, the poor woman, the only thing she would say for the last few months of her life would be, Jesus, have mercy. That's all she could say. And the, the afternoon before she eventually passed, 
she talked about seeing Paddy, but then my wife reflected and probably she said Daddy, okay. not Paddy. And, and so there were a few things, so it was not a, a, a major case. I think it was just a brush for us, but mm -hmm. we saw it, we saw it first person. Yes. That was, that was interesting. So if I may not, it, please uh, make abstraction from my, from my own book. And, and, but that what is interesting is that if you look at the testimony of deathbed visions, near-death experiences and spirit communicators, it is consistent. They all describe the same things in a consistent, coherent ma manner. So that's even more interesting because when, when you have different sources completely independent of each other, different processes approaching death, temporarily dying or dying and, and, and that's it. And they all describe the same steps, the same things, it is super interesting and super, for me, evidential, frankly. Right, of course. These are not people that could collude to say, we're going to say the same version of the story. <laughs> and they're like, uh, no, it's because you said different backgrounds, different Completely. ethnicities, whatever, Completely. countries, uh, as far as even cultural expectations of what dying totally. is. Totally. Uh, they describe totally. the same thing. And now what, what do you think happens to people when they die mm -hmm. and they become trapped. In other words, you, you know, you talk about the near-death experience, which is where maybe loved ones come and guide you until you come. There's nothing uh -huh. to fear. Uh -huh. Then you hear, like you said, where you have um, spirit communication after death, yes. where you have human spirits, whether it's fear of what you said, uh, judgment, mm -hmm. or maybe, I don't know, or, or um, I've even heard, uh, people sometimes that die when they're under anesthesia or unconscious or violently that they don't realize yes that they died remember remember the medieval christian prayer saying god save me from a sudden death yes because we need to die prepared right let me take a long way home to answer your question, which is certainly relevant, but it's part of a bigger thing. And let me, uh, uh, again, I mean, if, if, if you look at the second part of, of Step into the Light, then we look at the stages. What happens before, what happens at death, what happens afterwards, and the many stages that follow. And I would, it is always my, my, my pleasure and my desire to share a couple of messages of uh, comfort and hope before, before I answer your, your question. Because two of the great fears, well, the great fear is ceasing to exist. Right? Death equals annihilation. That's not true. That is obviously blatantly not true in general. Then the two sub-fears concern the idea of dying alone a lot of people are dead scared of when i die i don't want to be alone and blah blah well we're not if we are to believe deathbed visions we die surrounded by if we don't die suddenly or in particular circumstances you know a, a quote-unquote normal death happens with the comfort and the love and the support of our loved ones 
and failing that we have spiritual guides or, or higher beings who come and help us through so that's very comforting i think the other comforting message is that from the point of view of consciousness awareness the moment of passing is a non-event people some people are terrorized maybe death is painful it's a terrible experience death is a non-experience it is the people feel almost dramatic difference when they die in pain or they, they maybe they cannot sorry they cannot breathe or they have some cancer pain or something and all of a sudden all that goes right. and say what was what's going on here i could not breathe a moment ago i was in atrocious pain and all that is gone that is the only signal that the transition has happened for most people the continuity is such that as i as you correctly said some do not realize they actually have died okay and and for many the the, the, the first few moments in, in the early afterlife so to speak are a little confusing are a little bewildering because uh, has it been a while since you flipped that thermostat from heat to cool? Turn to the experts at Griffith Energy Services before you do for an $88 AC start and check to make sure your AC is in tip-top shape. Griffith specializes in carrier, but services all brands. Visit GriffithEnergyServices.com today. Your local carrier expert. That's GriffithEnergyServices.com. License number MDHVACR01-2278. Griffith Energy Services. Doggone dependable. We hope you're enjoying this podcast sponsored by U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank has had endless stories of taking side gigs to the next level. Their recipe to success is simple, providing the support and partnership you need, just like a family member would, bringing you that peace of mind that is much needed, but also sprinkling you with confidence to strive for greatness, because the sky's the limit, and they'll make sure you get there. U.S. Bank. We'll get there together. Back to the episode. The, the the early days in the spirit world we we maintain the sensation of a, of a physical body although we don't it's based on memory we don't know but the fact is that, that people say how 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 can i feel so alive and can i feel so myself and i see my body lying on on, on the deathbed and so it is a little confusing however from there onwards there are a, a, quite a number of steps which we will not describe now because it would take uh, time. The point, and here eventually I come to uh, answer your question, is that imagine you're at the bottom of the sea and imagine there's a tiny bubble of air. What happens to that bubble? It travels upward. Can it do anything else? No. There you have a very good metaphor for the travel of souls in the afterlife. For some, the movement is smooth and quick and fast through the various stages, through the various levels of uh, increasing less mater materiality, less phys physicality and more uh, spirituality. 
people say higher vibrational states. I don't know what that means. It's, it's again, it's a metaphor. Uh, but what what I'm saying is that that the the the, the, the levels of the afterlives differ in in the in in their the fact that they're less physical and they're more spiritual, and we all go upwards and onwards and we cannot do ni neither us nor the circumstances we died in can do anything for that it happens that somebody who who for instance i mean people who have a strong attachment to uh, to to earthly things to material to material things for instance or somebody who's attached to power or somebody who's an alcoholic or a drug addict. Unfortunately, we don't become saints and perfect people just by dying, you know. It's a lot of people think that, that you grow wings. It is die. not the case. It will eventually happen, but uh, there's a process to get there. So let's, let's put it this way. Certain bubbles get to the surface very quickly. Others take more time, and they may remain quote-unquote stuck and we speak about earthbound spirits and all that right. and uh, there too we are told there are helpers and guides who you, you are sent to help people in their natural inevitable organic process of ascending that yeah, because will I imagine eventually even help. at that point we always still have free will as far as that process. we do we do, we do, but then again, those who will have the, the goodness of reading the book will read the quotes that, you know, a couple of the levels of the afterlife, uh, call it first heaven and second heaven, that, that, that's mm -hmm. paradise as, a, as we imagine it. It's, right. it's a most beautiful environment where we meet a lot of people and we gravitate with people at, at our, with, with whom we share interests and worldview and, and you know, wisdom and everything. So we're, we're in a very comforting environment. We keep on doing the activities that we did on Earth and scientists keep studying their things and musicians keep perfecting their art and blah, blah. And it, who could possibly want to live that. Well, right. we're exactly. told that at some stage you grow weary of that and you feel this pull towards higher spheres, less towards light, towards warmth, towards love, less things and more feelings and more spirituality. It happens. And you say it's, it's yeah, it's a choice, mm -hmm. but it's, it's a choice that you're naturally brought to making right because at some point i imagine you realize i don't have a physical body so all the things i needed when i was alive as in shelter clothing all the things Absolutely. that we attached to Absolutely. don't matter point. but i imagine point. that it takes a while it for does. that to because if you look your life you be, you know by this i don't mean you have to be greedy but we we are the human condition is that we become attached to places, to things, to clothing, to our family, to uh, shelter, um, food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and it takes a while to realize without a physical body, there is no need for any of those things. So but, I imagine that's what you talk, the attraction to that lessens. Completely. And then you get attracted by less material things and you soar as, as inevitably as a bubble does. Yes. Yes, and that's that's very you know, uh, 
And the thing is, I think that we have those desires or some more fundamental because it's what anchors us to life, which is the way it should be, by the way. Um, so to let go of that anchor takes, I imagine, sometimes a little bit of time. And, and it, it, it differs from, from person to person. And always remembering that we are told time and time again that our concept of time does not apply there. So it's hard. It's hard. It to, is hard to conceive that difficult. because nowadays <laughs> we run everything on the clock. <laughs> yes, so many things, Marlene. Is that that that's difficult to to to, you know, come on. I am a Western educated medical doctor. I was it was hammered into me that all that can possibly exist is matter. If right. you cannot touch it, if you cannot measure it, it doesn't exist. Right. And and therefore, as we said before, that that mind, personality, who we are, is simply a matter of neurons and, 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 uh, and uh, hormones and uh, neurotransmitters and all that. When this stops working, lights out, it's finished, there's nothing. And I, you know, I took that for granted, and it has been uh, it has been a long, and at times a little arduous path, to to come round and and surrender to the evidence, and and I keep saying I did not have an experience myself, I came close a couple of times, but through other people never had one myself. Yeah. I'm not those one of those who oh, I've had an NDE or, you know, I saw the light on the way to Damascus. That's not my incarnation this time is about studying, learning, thinking, reflecting. And, and through that, through looking at the evidence and challenging the evidence and researching and asking questions, I eventually I eventually came to the conclusion that yes in a way which we do not understand, we go on living. <laughs> now, now that you mentioned it, I want to go through. You said the incarnation. Do you yes. think that we are on, that we come we back? Are, in other words, that this is, but I'm going to do that, that this is in a way is a schoolroom or a classroom yes. where we improve yeah. what we need to improve. So this and the next life are both classrooms and life appears as a gigantic grand scheme that involves many many sojourns in in the physical plane and many sojourns in the spiritual plane of the afterlife and every in this is not going around in circles you know we're not at the same level all the time this is a lot more like a spiral we keep coming up Every time we come to Earth, we come uh, with more wisdom, more experience, right. and we have a different life. And that is somehow, uh, I think, mistakenly interpreted as the karma business. Right. No, it's not exactly that. And I, I, I don't speak. It's not. It's not my wisdom. Okay. I mean, no, 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 no. Trust no. I me. Exactly this is what, what we're mean. told. This is what we're told by our sources, and our sources say that this grand scheme of school on planet earth or other planets or school mm -hmm. in the material world yes. followed by school in the spiritual world followed by school again 
at a different level with different experiences and this keeps going up and up and up until the point where the soul has experienced enough has grown enough in wisdom where there's no return to school we can finally eventually soar back into the, the ground of being that universal consciousness you can call it God if you're a religious person. Mm -hmm. I use uh, I use the the word you know what a cosmic consciousness, whatever, the ocean of consciousness that generated mm -hmm. as as an individual wave, still belonging to that ocean, and as a wave we have experiences and we transform and we change, and eventually we merge back into the ocean. Right, because even the concept of karma. You know, if if at that point we are aware of every action, every word, every thought, you know, that there, in other words, there is no hiding from the truth when oh. you're on that point. So you better than anyone would understand what it is that I need to improve or what my intentions were. How's that? What, you know, what goes on in here? The only one that, that's inside your skin is you. Yeah. Yeah. So the only one but that understands then, what you're, who you are, as far as even a being, even if uh -huh, you're not incarnated, uh -huh. is you. They're, that's it. No. So you are your best. Uh, how like you said, the karma. If there's anybody that would understand what lessons you need to learn, it would yeah. be yourself. Indeed, but I am. I'm always, you know. There's so much we don't understand. There's oh, actually, course. there's so little we understand. For instance, why don't we remember our previous lives? Well, we can, we do, we do, you know, with, with uh, hypnotic regression and everything, mm -hmm. but it's buried and hidden. And, and why, why, why do we, why don't we know? Why don't we have a, uh, why don't we remember life in the spiritual world? and do away with all the suffering and the pain and the fear of death and all that i don't know we, we don't know these things i must i must and be I, honest I, I think personally that it would make living life on this plane too complicated for us uh-huh i think we might end up in insane asylums because it would just be too much of a distraction having That's all of that yeah yeah it, it would be like you you would be i i, I want to say that our ignorance is there on purpose as far as actively reminding on a conscious level, on a conscious yes. level, past lives, past mistakes? Because we have to think sometimes maybe in prior incarnations, we might have done horrible, terrible things. Oh, we Unfortunately, we probably have. We probably have. I know. I know. Yeah, good point. Good point. And, and uh, uh, unfortunately, you know, pain, fear and suffering are a necessary part. Yes of this learning, of this schooling, and uh, we, since we are biological beings, uh, we would only like to have the happy hormones and be in a state oh, yes, of bliss all the time, yeah, isn't yes. it? <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. it's not to be. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, well, you know, and I'm going to mention something real quick. Um, I, was, I, w I was a practicing hypnotherapist for many years. I don't do that now, right. but I did do on occasion past life regressions. All right. And... Um, you know, you, you have people that come with expectations saying, I know I lived, uh, whatever, mm. Egypt, or I was uh, yeah. Scarlet O'Hara, <laughs> you know. And, you know, the majority of my clients had little, if no, um, acquaintance with hypnosis. 
So, you know, there was a process to get them to go down. And I would tell them basically what we're going to ask is for you to see the most appropriate thing for you. And some of them were very surprised <laughs> to oh, see themselves uh -huh, in uh -huh. the most unusual, simple, mundane, nothing like they didn't leave a village. They were sheep herder. <laughs> you know, you know that. And then, sorry, I'm looking at the time. I will have yes. to leave you no, and I your understand. listeners very soon. But there's, there's, because you touched on a very interesting point. Uh, it, what the skeptic says, oh, this past life regression. So that all, everybody mm -hmm. says they're, they've been Napoleon or, or Julius Caesar or whatever, <laughs> or Queen right. Nefertiti. <laughs> Untrue. There's a study, I don't remember, as a woman, as a, as a clinical psychologist in, uh, uh, in the US during the 80s, and I don't remember the name now, but she looked at as many as 10,000 reports yeah. of uh, hypnotic regressions, and she studiously noted... Was it uh, Louise Ireland Frey? The name doesn't ring the bell. Okay, okay. I know there were several, anyhow, like you what, said, from that time period, but go ahead. What 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 she did? What she did was to um, for each regression to note the alleged time period, information about activity, uh, clothes, age, uh, socioeconomic distribution, and blah blah. And then she brought this data to historians, who essentially confirmed everything. The right. gender balance at different periods, epochs in human history, the number of people who were rich and who were poor corresponds mm -hmm. exactly to the number of people who report having been rich or poor and blah, blah. The activities, the clothing, very intriguing, very interesting. Right. And people don't realize that until recently, the masses of people lived in anonymity. There is no yeah. way very very infrequently would you be able to say to find that person even if they gave you a full name because people lived out their lives yeah 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 with oh, no notation record no record no no, no records none but that doesn't mean it didn't happen though although although i you certainly know of the division of perceptual studies of the university of virginia originally created and headed for many years by professor ian stevenson and is over 100, so 1,000 cases of uh, children who remember past life memories. And he went to extraordinary lengths to right. document and verify these memories. There's one book, 20 Cases Suggestive of Reincarnation, is very heavy going because it's really it's a completely scientific book. Is but, but wow, I mean, it's... Right. Incredible. I want to say the first introduction I had to that briefly because I know you have to go is I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with it. A Dr. Weiss wrote it back in the 80s, yeah, many absolutely. lives, many masters. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And he describes at the beginning how he was not not no belief whatsoever. In I have, any I of have the book here. Yes, no, no, yes. absolutely. And uh, he I consider that a very good book because, again, he came from a point of origin that he did not expect or believe in any of this. Nothing. On the contrary, he even thought that she was like, he let her go through her hypnosis thinking, okay, we'll just, that's her imagination. <laughs> Again, Dr. Perosetti, I want to thank you so much for spending this time. It has been absolutely wonderful to have you here. Likewise. And I would love to have you come back in the future when we contact you. Uh, please, and I'm going to have yes. a link. Uh -huh. 
of your website on the credits of the show. But for my Marvelous. podcast, that's if you could lovely. repeat again your website yes. address. That's DR. That's my, my family name, which is Parisetti, with the mm -hmm. prefix DR, drparisetti.com. Very good. Excellent. And are you, I know I'm going to be premature in this. Are you thinking of other books? Uh, yes and no. But I mean, it, it would be, uh, I would have a very small readership, I think. Because I would like to popularize something like 100 scientific studies that fly in the face of materialism, something like that, you know. Oh, that sounds great. To, I know, but I mean, how many people would be interested in that? I don't know. know I don't know. You want me to tell you what I think? I think that in the face of so much technology, human beings always yearn for the spiritual. Yeah. They Because... We no, are spiritual that's beings. That's true. We are so, indeed. Yes. I, I do hope that you go ahead and write it eventually. And I want to wish you the best of luck. Are you individually on Facebook, Marlene? No. And no. I stopped okay. being on Fine. Facebook no because worries. I was okay. spending too much time. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. Exactly. I was already proposing a friendship there. So okay. I was. And, 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 and I stopped myself. I have been on there for many, many years. Yeah. No, no. I understand you perfectly well listen it has been a great great pleasure uh, please do share a link to the show yes. Uh, yes, when, when that will be I'll, I'll be I'll put it on my website and anytime you want me back contact me it's such a pleasure speaking to you likewise take care and yourself bye-bye now bye-bye wow let me tell you, <laughs> like always, I could talk to him for hours and we could tell we just touched on the little, the, the, the basically the basically very lightly on the book and what he's worked on. And I mean, he's been involved in this. And like I said, I remember back in the 70s with reading about Dr. Moody and um uh, well, that's basically where the term near-death experience NDE came from. And coming from a doctor, I think, and I hate to say this, but you think of him as a trained observer. And like I said, he wasn't looking to prove one, one, one thing one way or the other. He was basing it on his experience as a doctor where he was having uh, patients describe this and this. And I, I imagine after a while, or, you know, or he's heard other doctors say that, that um, and after a while you realize these people, you know, have no connection but they're basically describing the same event and i know that there was one uh time that there were certain doctors that were saying no you know people that tunnel and the light and all that that's that's produced by certain things that are happening in the brain and i believe they even had one part where they had you know somebody that they were pressing different parts of their brain you know when people are conscious uh and they would be describing similar uh, to near-death experience and they were saying no you know this is people that have these visions of these near-death experiences it's just parts of their brain being triggered and the whatever's going on with them but the problem comes in when people having near-death experiences were describing conversations and seeing people in another room down the hall and let's say in a hospital uh, where how could you be lying, let's say, in an emergency room or, 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 or an operating room 
Um, because, you know, people, of course, they, they describe, you know, where they're looking down on maybe the doctors working on them or if there's a surgery. Some people say, well, you know, they people that, you know, your hearing's going on and basically you're filling in the blanks visually of what's going on. But it still doesn't explain how people that would have that, let's say, over the overlooking their body would be able to go down the hall or into another room and describe, you know, what people, maybe family members were wearing or conversations. <laughs> I mean, come on. So in other words, this kind of defeated that, how can I say, that explanation um, as far as the near-death experience being something just produced by your maybe your brain in distress or whatever the case might be. Or, or we could even say at this point, because now that the near-death experience has become more popularized, that you could say, well, people are describing what they think they should be experiencing because of that near-death experience. It's, you know, everybody's heard about it, the tunnel and the light and this and that. Again, uh, there's something there that doesn't jive again because... Welcome, we're here with Jess, who is enjoying a cozy night in. That's right, and she's lighting up. Is that candle? Triple wick pumpkin spiced, yes. Oh, she is setting the harvest mood. <gasps> is that a tasteful autumnal wreath? Someone's been to Marshall's again. Well, with quality home decor at great prices, what's stopping her? Oh, Ooh. and a cozy blanket to top it all off. That is so fall. Better get to Marshall's. Fabulous brands. Feel good prices at, at Marshall's. Marshalls. Before you even wake up, News for Today is working for you. How the weather will affect your plans for the next few hours, even the next 10 days. And what you need to know to get ready for your day, no matter how it looks. Where you need to go, how you're going to get there. The stories you need to know for the day. And showing you great things happening in our community. Whenever you're ready to start your morning, we'll be ready for you. News for Today is working for you. If we just bring it down to our bodies organically, our brains, which, by the way, I was floored. I was floored when he said that thing about basically the brain being dead. No, nothing, nothing blah, blah, going on. And people are still experiencing near death. And I was like, what? Because to me, I always thought that, yes, your heart could stop. But as long as your brain was working, you know, basically you were still alive. And, you know, sometimes they resuscitate people. They, you know, they... They basically shock your heart into pumping again, or somebody does CPR, but your brain is still active. You know, and, that, and as a matter of fact, I heard that part of the part of CPR is to keep your heart and your thing pumping so your brain keeps getting oxygen. So, you know, until maybe other measures can be done. And I I I, I couldn't believe that about um, people being basically their brain not registering anything and experiencing near death. <laughs> That's incredible. That is incredible. And being brought back. Because again, and, <clears throat> and I'm thinking to myself, maybe once upon a time, you know, people sometimes you could uh, be resuscitated, but now I know that they have, you know, let's say for example, more people now know how to perform CPR or at least a basic type of CPR. Um, with uh, television, people, you know, hear about, hey, people drown or uh, people choking, Heimlich, you know, all these things that before, once upon a time, 
it didn't happen. Unless something happened to you and you were lucky enough to be next to a doctor, maybe somebody that knew, chances are that they couldn't resuscitate you. All right. Or even now when you have paramedics that will respond, uh, because, you know, once upon a time, all you had was an ambulance who would try to get you to the hospital where the doctors were like right away. But now you have firemen and paramedics that when they show up, you know, they can start basically trying to keep you alive or administering certain drugs. Of course, um, communicating with a doctor to help get you to the hands of the doctors so that they can keep working on you. Once upon a time, they didn't have even that. So that's why I wondered, you know, do you have more cases of near death where people that once upon a time would have died, like absolutely died. There was no bringing them back. Uh, now they're, they're saved. You know, they're, they, they, there's a way to get them that, like I said, the, the air, the clear their passageways, all these things that we've learned. Um, you know, because I remember, um, I mean, I learned CPR, you know, in, um, during part of my work, but I, I remember when, uh, I had my children, they were very small. I went and I took a specific course just to do CPR to children, because it's a little bit different when you have to do it to children, because I was so with my, with my kids that I wanted to know that. And my, when I was growing up, they, there was nothing like that being taught or parents were learning about that. You know, unless you were a doctor or something like that, CPR. I mean, yeah, you knew to try to save your child, but as far as, you know, how to do it, let's say to children and adults and all. That's what I'm saying as far as modern times. There's there's things that we understand that we could do to prolong life as far as to help that person not die. Um, and that, what he described where... Um, Again, begs the question, you know, what he said as far as everybody thinks that your, I don't know if you want to call it self-awareness, self-awareness lies in your brain. And once your brain is gone, it bye. Apparently, that's not the case. <laughs> Can you imagine all these people <laughs> that have um, basically paid to have their heads, their brains um, put away in a, I think they're basically iced so that, you know, they've been sick or they're dying or something and they've, they're paying, they've paid to basically keep their bodies, I, I believe it's only the head or the brain, the head as in uh, alive, not alive, but in, how can I say it? Uh, preserved so that in the future they could be brought back to life or maybe that there are going to be certain advances in medicine where they will be cured or I don't know, reattached to a body. I don't know. I, I'm not sure exactly how that works. Uh, or if their whole body, can you imagine you're thinking it's all in the, about the brain and it turns out it's not. <laughs> wow. And I had heard, what was it? God. I can't remember if I heard it or I read it, but sometimes I get mixed up in that. I read there's so much research where there was a guy. No, I'll tell you what it was. It was something I heard. And he described where he worked for a funeral home. 
this gentleman worked for a funeral home and he was sent to pick up a body or a person that had died but this person had orders to basically he he had paid to preserve his body all right they were going to do everything where they preserve the body uh you know there's certain conditions I, i'm not too familiar with it uh, anyway he 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 paid for that and this guy picks up the body apparently it was like middle of the night this gentleman passes away and the next thing he knows he says that you know like a hurts kind of thing he sees this guy like he hears him talking like what's going on and he says he's like he's by himself basically to make a long story short he starts hearing this man that just died wicked out because he can't he's realizing that his body is dead but that he has still has that self-awareness of like and almost like he could hear the guy and he says that he was almost ready to jump out of the car and leave it and he had never had that experience he says <clears throat> that basically this man uh realized after the fact well you think um that probably after the money he paid after the money he paid, maybe which I believe it's it's uh, it's up there as far as what you pay when you um, when you want to preserve your body. God, what is the word for it? Oh, I the, it's it slips from my mind right now. I know, I know there's a term specifically for when you preserve your body right after death for basically for resuscitation later, whatever. Uh, can you imagine after maybe you've paid because I'm sure that it's like you got to pay up front on that. Um, find out when you're dead you're dead and that yeah they could preserve your body or your brain or whatever but the you that's you the spirit your soul it's not there it's like what's going on wow you know what i wonder what the sales pitch is on stuff like that i know people will say marlene you know how do you convince somebody spend thousands of dollars okay and um oh, what's the I'm, I, now i'm like I'm, I'm going crazy trying to think of the term uh no not embalming cryonics there we go god marlene cryonics all right and this is according to wikipedia all right and it's okay because it's not a big technical thing here Cryonics is the low temperature freezing usually at negative 196 degrees Celsius and storage of a human corpse or severed head with a speculative hope that resurrection may be possible in the futures. Cryonics is regarded with skepticism within the mainstream scientific community. It is generally viewed as a pseudoscience and its practice has been characterized as quackery. They've got a picture of somebody being preserved Preparations in 1985. Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, how do you sell that to somebody? Because you're thinking at what point, I mean, this is the future, like depending, I imagine if you've got something, and I imagine maybe there might be even people that are not really sick to just, they did, they, they get old and they die, but it's like, I don't want to die. I want to keep on living. I like this life. But by the way, when we bring me back, get me a nice new body. Uh. 
Yeah. That leads you, that, that, that's real deep down the rabbit hole as far as where does this stop as in the physical body and this us, the spiritual self person begin, you know, when do they divide? All right. And I think that what Dr. Persetti was saying is that I think that all of us at some point fear loss of identity, loss of who we are. Yeah. And it's good to hear like what he said, that there's a process where you, they kind of like let you do it slowly. Like I said, where you realize um, I'm human, I'm so-and-so, but all these things that I needed to live my life on that plane, I don't need that anymore because I don't have a body. The need for shelter, warm food, clothing, um, the you know the possessiveness that we have of like that's mine, my house, my wife, my husband, my this, my that. You know that sometimes depending on your personality, because you know there's personalities that are more possessive than other, or more ground. I don't know what you want to call it for for you to arrive at that moment where you realize none of that really matters anymore because I don't need it and I don't want it. I don't desire it. How's that? Because you can tell yourself, you don't need it. You don't need it. You don't need it. But if you don't believe that you don't need it, it doesn't matter. It's to the, comes to the acceptance that you realize you understand it. None of those things I had when I was this person doesn't matter. I don't, I don't, um, I don't need it. I don't want it. Okay, I don't want it because there's no attraction there. That attraction that binds us to these things when we're incarnated as we are like this is not there. It's like, and I want to say maybe in some cases when you think of people, discarnates that are bound to the earth plane, it's almost like that desire is like a ball and chain on them. Like he was made that metaphor about the bubble rising. But maybe that bubble can't rise because there's a ball and chain where this person, this spirit, whatever, still doesn't understand or want to accept. Or because of circumstances or their personality or a combination of all, they, that desire is still there. They can't, they, they don't want to let it go. They can't let it go. Uh, so basically, they're a human spirit without a body trying to live a human life on this plane and it just doesn't work. And some spirits, I imagine they takes a while for them to get there because you can't be wanting to be an incarnated being and be the bubble that rises to the top. You know, those two things just don't square. And then, of course, we get into, um, you know, what are ghosts? Are these trapped souls? Are these souls that are confused, uh, don't understand exactly, fearful of what what's, awaits them maybe? Because maybe they've been brought up through religious beliefs or God knows that, you know, when you die, if you've been a bad person, uh, you're going to pay. You're going to be punished for it. You know, in other words, you escaped it in this lifetime, but eventually 
or even what he was describing of as karma. You know, uh, and I'm, I'm sure um, even, uh, you know, you would hear, not, not so much now because it doesn't happen now, but, you know, when, um, let's say when the Catholic Church, that you could uh, basically pay to have prayers done for you and uh, for lack of a better word, you try to buy forgiveness, especially when you were older and you realized, you know what? Chances are I was a real scumbag a few years ago when I was younger, but now I hear death knocking on the door and I don't want to go to the hot place. So I'm going to pay uh, for favors, whether it's prayers, masses, intercessions, um, you name it, uh, donations to the, uh, whatever, so that I'm going to make sure the pearly gates open for me. <laughs> but that right there is that kind of thinking where, what if you have been that kind of person? And you died suddenly. In other words, no time to prepare to make up for boy was I bad. Let me let me try to mend my ways. Something comes, death comes to you suddenly, unexpectedly. There is no moment for you to change. And you think, based on what I've done, there's only one place I'm going to end up at. Is it the is this the personality that holds back? saying, this is not the best place. I'm not really happy. As a matter of fact, it, it's awful, but I fear more of going to hell because uh, there's, it, it, I, I want to say that in um, most cultures or religions or ethnicities, even if they don't call it hell, even when you read these stories about the ancient Egyptians where they would weigh your heart on a scale and a feather. Basically, in other words, the message has always been that in the end, in the afterlife, as in that transition period, you're going to get judged appropriate to who or what you did when you were alive. And, um, and I could definitely see that as something to... to make a, a person, a spirit say, I don't understand exactly what's happened, but I'm very afraid. Fear is a very good deterrent, by the way. And also fear will motivate us as humans. Because remember, at that point, you're still that human being that you were when you were an incarnated being. With all the fears and desires, it's only when you let go of that that you can basically ascend. But yeah, we all can get stuck. And then, of course, that's where you get into all these different um, communications, uh, you know, through people that are mediums, uh, things of that nature, where uh, sometimes they, there's mediums that, contrary to what people think that, you know, you're just going to get a communication from a spirit that doesn't say your loved ones. You know, a lot of mediums, if you listen to, especially when they're not aware of their powers, that they'll have like a, they'll have like a, a, a line of dead people coming into their bedrooms. A lot of those dead people, not all the time do they really want, it's not that they want to pass on a message, is that they, sometimes all they need is they either one, to be acknowledged, somebody to hear this, or number two, for somebody to tell them, uh, 
you can you can see me can hear me I, what happened I, you know i remember this but i don't remember anything else and i just i'm like lost i can't understand what happened to me um and and, and i and i suspect that in some cases this person probably knows that they're dead but that sometimes especially if you if you're resistant to it uh if you're not ready if let's say you were young and you were like that's not fair you know you just you, you do this thing in your head where i'm not going to accept that i'm that that's the that's the door i'm not going to go through and sometimes that's when medium sometimes they get bombarded with all these um spirits discarnates all of them of course wanting to go to the front of the line elbow the next one out of the way to say a message to find out hey you can see me you can hear me what happened i don't get it you know i was coming down the road and this happened or you know hey I, I need to tell you what happened to me oh whatever i'm sure a lot of you have heard stories about people who are mediums who even from childhood they start getting visited uh with with sometimes seeing horrible things uh or in, in some cases depending also on their receptivity experiencing what were the physical symptoms of this person before they died whether they were sick or maybe there was some type of trauma or something that they can actually feel it in their body and you know you hear a lot of times where um because sometimes they you know they want to use your body so now that's a whole other show but again guys i hope you love uh this interview with dr parasetti the subject i think is fascinating um i have a lot of great guests coming on Again, if you want to find links to the shows, to the MP3 files, to the podcast platforms, depending on which ones you go to, MiamiGhostChronicles.com. And if you just want to listen to the podcast version without commercial interruptions, I have links there where you can either listen to the podcast or the you know on the browser or download the MP3 file without commercial interruptions. Because of course, once you listen to it through the different platforms, some of them. They, you know, they do have commercial breaks and so on. Um, if you have any stories, any questions, send them to Marlene at MyAmigosChronicles.com. Again, remember, I have two other podcast series, which is Supernatural Storytime, uh, which is scary stories, like campfire stories, stuff like that. Nightshade Diary, uh, nice, which you can find at NightshadeDiary.com, which is basically me narrating different classic horror and adventure stories. And uh, I will do my plug right now for my new book that's coming out which is the one after this yes after this which is film noir murders number two which the actual title is hot damn on a cold slab and um basically it's true crime it's true crime um about different types of crimes that were committed murders uh, some of them are really interesting and they're all true and um this is these most of these uh, were in that range of years between the first and second world wars uh and uh again I, I find it fascinating because this is when law enforcement was starting to look at different methods of solving crime and of course this was long long before um long before dna you know genetic material anything like that 
So basically, nine times out of 10, the most they had to go on was fingerprints and maybe blood type, depending on when. And even then, it's incredible. But uh, I think you're going to like it. If you're into the true crime, it's the book for you. And I'm hoping to release it September 9th, but I'll give updates on that. And again, guys, I want to thank you so much for being part of my audience. I think that you are all absolutely wonderful. And again, thank you for coming back every week. See you next week. Has it been a while since you flipped that thermostat from heat to cool? Turn to the experts at Griffith Energy Services before you do for an $88 AC start and check to make sure your AC is in tip-top shape. Griffith specializes in carrier, but services all brands. Visit GriffithEnergyServices.com today. Your local carrier expert. That's GriffithEnergyServices.com. License number MDHVACR01-2278. Griffith Energy Services. Doggone dependable. Any moment that lets you just sit back, relax, and enjoy even one second of the day to yourself and taste like pumpkins, that's a moment to look forward to. The McCafe Pumpkin Spice Latte is back. Get a $2 small hotter ice for a limited time or try one of our other freshly brewed espresso drinks from iced caramel macchiatos to caramel frappes to hot mochas to every sweet treat in between. Only at McDonald's. Price and participation may vary.